Converge, welcome to our new digs. Uh, if you haven't stopped by, you haven't been to the Converge Center yet, I was going to welcome you. Come by um, and, and just see what God is doing here with us. It's been an exciting week. Like, So I'm here in my office at the center. Uh, but I want, you know, just to give you a snapshot, Sunday was the open house. This place was completely full. Monday, uh, we had a video shoot here, three different stories, one of which you'll see is a part of this message. And Tuesday night was a staff meeting. We had our whole team here. That was incredible. Wednesday night, the youth, the students met in the warehouse, and, and they had 17 students on their very first night here in the Converge Center. I'm, I'm here on Friday recording this virtual service, and tomorrow the men will be here for a prayer breakfast. we got a guest speaker coming in, and, and we're going to walk the campus and, and pray that God would use this for His glory and for the renown of Jesus. Life is happening, and I'm so excited for all God is doing in the story of Converge. I want to thank you for being part here and with us in the story of convergence. Stories is really what I want to talk about today. All the things that go into our stories. And like you are a part of the story of Converge, you are a story that's comprised of all kinds of pages and chapters. And, and I want to talk to us as we launch a brand new series. This series that we're going to start this week is called This Is My Story. And we're going to hear from a lady here in a bit who's who hid from her story, ran from her story out of shame and, and really just fear. And she's beginning to open up and to share her story and is finding such incredible uh, life from the idea of not being afraid of her story any longer. Before we get to that, I, I wanted to sort of set a, a, a foundation for our series and I have three things I want to ask us to consider before we, we get into this series about uh, stories that maybe this would be not just about hearing other people's stories, but maybe it would be about you sharing your stories because sharing our stories is incredibly important. And in fact, if we think about the, the stories in the Bible, the Bible names 3,237 people. So that's 3,237 named Bible characters in the Bible. What these men and women do, we know as Bible stories. If you're like me and you did Sunday school, you've been in church for a long time, then then you know these Bible stories. You might have saw them acted out. I, I saw mine put up on flannel graph boards, if you even know what those are. I've been hearing Bible stories my whole life since I could, I mean, since I, as far back as I could remember, I, I've been to church. My family went to church on Sunday morning, and then Sunday evening, we went back to church, and there was children's church then, and then we had prayer service on Wednesday nights, where we had a, something for kids on Wednesday nights, and then my family came back on Thursdays for door-to-door -door visitation. I, I have been uh, sort of soaking in these Bible stories, my entire life. Have you thought about this? Those 3,237 men and women in the Bible, did you know that's actually how we know about God? How, the way we know about the character of God, his faithfulness to the people of Israel, the stories that are written that we know about in Moses and, and Noah and King David and Solomon and Saul is all because people shared their stories. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they captured their stories and wrote them down. This is what God did for me. 
And we know he parted the Red Sea because someone decided to write it down and share it with us. And we draw hope and we draw an ability to, for our faith to be increased because of the stories we read in the Bible, which we know to be true representations of the character of God. And we know that because people decided to share their stories. Sharing stories is incredibly important. And I, and I wonder if you could... Imagine sharing your stories that someone would hear as a testimony to the faithfulness of God in your life. This name is true with Jesus. We know about Jesus because of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John capturing the, the life of Jesus from his birth and doing life with him. We know about his miracles just because they wrote them down. They, they said, you're not going to believe what this, what this Jesus did. He turned water into wine. We, we, we were watching. We were on the water and Peter gets out of the boat and he, he walks on the water. We know this because someone decided to share their story. Paul shared letters opening up his heart to churches, and then he made them available for you and I to read. And, and we build our church based upon these letters that were written. And, and we know all about Jesus, the greatest story that's ever been told. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the hope of the world, and we know about it because through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, men and women shared their stories. Sharing stories is incredibly important. And did you know that you don't even have to know the Bible? You don't have to quote the Bible to your friends in order for them to know Jesus. You can simply share your story. You might not know that a reference is found in Hebrews chapter 2 or in 1 John chapter 1, but or in, in, in Zechariah chapter... You don't, you don't have to know those. You can just say, Here's what Jesus is doing in me. And when you do that, you're telling the story of God in the same way that the, the early saints did for you and for me. Sharing our stories is incredibly important. And before we hear a story, I want to see if I can do, tell you, remind you of three things that might unlock for you a desire to be willing to share your story, to invite people into your story. Three things briefly so that we can get into the story today number one is your story matters your story matters i've been saying this for quite a while you might know that me and some friends in 2018 we we started this thing called storytellers and the premise of it was just simply we we believed that every story mattered. We wanted to create a space in the story of faith for people that would otherwise be in the fringes. Maybe they weren't ready to, to walk through the, the doors of a church. In fact, maybe they had trauma and wounds as a result of walking through the doors of the church. And so we wanted to create an, a place that wasn't in church, that still created space for conversations about life and faith, reminding them that though they might not be engaged in the story of Jesus matter or right now, that they still matter to Jesus. Though they might not be actively engaged in, in, in a faith journey, their story still mattered to Jesus. And your story matters. Some incredible things happened in those moments that we'd open up dialogue. And, and in fact, we did these things called conversations where we said, we buy the first round of drinks and you come and it's just a safe place. While we did that, we heard we had all kinds of stories. We had stories of, of tragic loss to suicide and just raging battles with mental health. I, I think I've shared this before, but on one occasion, we 
had someone who stopped by. And earlier that day, they not only contemplated suicide, they were moving forward to take their own life. They took their dogs to a, a friend's house, believing that they would actually go through with killing themselves. And, and then they saw on social media that Storytellers was hosting a conversation and that the, your story could matter there. And they came and when the conversation was over, they waited for me and we sat on a curb in Midtown Sacramento and they just poured their, their life out and their, their heart out and and they realized in that moment their story mattered and made a difference but I, I'm not, I, I don't say it mattered to me because I'm some incredible Christian no because I've learned through people all around me that have made the space for me even at my worst and it's it's been a part of me coming back to know Jesus your story matters we can't really talk about our stories without reading Psalm chapter 139. I want to read it for you out of the message. And I'm actually going to read 20 verses. So just sort of sit back, relax. Let me read this over your life. In verse 1 out of Psalm chapter 139, it starts like this. God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you, even from a distance. You know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back, I'm never out of your sight. You're never out of God's sight. You say, I'm hiding. I don't want to be, I don't want anyone to see me. Well, friend, you're never out of his sight. You know, everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there. I look up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence in my coming and in my going. The psalmist says, this is just too much. It's too wonderful. I can't even take it all in. Verse 7, is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in his light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't even dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. Oh, yes. You shaped me first inside and then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You are breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. Listen to this. The days of my life all were prepared before I'd even lived one day. I'll come back to that. Verse 17, your thoughts, how rare, how beautiful. God, I'll never comprehend them. I couldn't even begin to count your thoughts about me any more than I could count the sand of the sea. Man. You matter to God. Do you hear the time that he took to make you, you, to create you, and he cares about you, and he loves you, and he longs to have a relationship with you? The psalmist said, doesn't matter where I go, I cannot get out of your presence. I love the verse that says, the days of my life are all prepared even before I lived one day. Not just the days you're proud about, not just the days you're slaying, not just the days your, your highlight reels are made of. No, the days that you are embarrassed, that you wish you could erase, 
the days where you, you wrecked your life and you, you hurt the people closest to you, that's not a surprise to God. In fact, he prepared for that. He prepared to use those ingredients to do something incredible. That's the kind of God that he is and you matter to him. Your story and what your story is made of, every word and every page of every chapter of your life matters to him. And there's nothing that can change that. You're loved. I love a song we're going to sing in service this week and I'm loved is the name of it. And you friend are loved. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how hard you work or how hard you don't work. It doesn't matter married, divorced. It doesn't matter your sexual orientation or your gender identity. It doesn't matter how much money's in the bank. It doesn't matter what your credit score is or who you voted for. None of those things matter in light of just knowing you are loved by God and your story matters. Secondly, your story is not a mistake. Your story is not a mistake. Now, this is important that you don't misunderstand. It's not to say you don't make mistakes. If you're like me, you make them all the time. But your story is not a mistake. Remember, it was every day, every moment was lit. Every day was prepared before you were even born. God went ahead of you and is, is working with your mistakes. I don't remember where I read it or, or who said it or I said quote them, but there's a, a quote I read this week that God uses crooked pencils to draw straight lines. I like that. I'm the crookedest of the pencils and somehow he uses me to do good things and he draws straight lines with someone as crooked as me because my story is not a mistake. He, he already knows it. He prepared for it. And he does good things even with the ingredients that I give him when they are not so good. Remember, that's what Romans 8 says, that you take everything together and you weave it into something good. Even the things that seem so bad. Reminds me, it's not in my notes, but I'm just thinking of it. It reminds me of my daughter Maddie. She's a like, loves fashion. She was going to school to be a fashion designer and and she was making a statement about fast fashion and she called this piece fast fashion is trash and and she took this all these different plastic bags that she got from all these different stores, grocery stores and shopping malls and, and, and outlet malls and all these different stores that gave her plastic bags that you would otherwise throw away. And she weaved this very beautiful form-fitted dress out of these plastic bags in a way to basically say that the dress can be, there's things that we can do to reuse these plastic bags so that they're not just trashed. And and my daughter, who happens to be just a great seamstress, was able to take trash and weave it together, something that would otherwise be discarded. She weaved it together into something super cool and wearable that could make a pretty gigantic statement. That just reminds me of God in our life. He, he takes the messes of our life and he does great things through them. You see, Dustin, how do you know? Because Jesus... You know, the way, the truth, and the life, the hope of the world is a product of some pretty big messes. And it's weird. Matthew Matthew captures, and you, you might miss it, in Matthew chapter 1, before we get to the birth of Jesus, Matthew does the genealogy of Jesus. 
And traditionally and historically, the genealogy would just simply be the patriarchal genealogy, just the, the men in the story. And, and Matthew lists, primarily he lists the men, but there's four women that are parenthetically mentioned in this genealogy of the, all the women that could be listed, all the moms and, and widows and, and sisters, uh, they, they could be listed, but he doesn't list any of them except for four, and I believe there's a reason to list them. And let's let's read where Jesus comes from. The heading in my Bible says says uh, the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah. Let me re- get into it in, in verse one of chapter one in Matthew. It says this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus. The Messiah. This is where Jesus comes from. This is who the this is the Jesus is a product of these men. He's a descendant of David and of Abraham. So they start with Abraham in verse two. Matthew says Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. And then parenthetically, their mom was Tamar. There are other moms that could have been listed here, but but Matthew doesn't mention them, but he mentions Tamar. Why does he mention Tamar? Well, did you know that it's because Perez and Zerah were twins, and, and their story of getting onto the scene is a pretty unique one. It's really even a pretty tragic one. See, Tamar lost her husband, and she wanted kids, and she wanted to have kids with her father-in-law, Judah, and she knew Judah likely wouldn't wouldn't have sex with his daughter-in-law, so she pretended to be a prostitute because apparently Judah will have sex with prostitutes. And so Judah, who wouldn't have sex with his daughter-in-law, apparently will have sex with prostitutes. So Tamar pretended to be a prostitute, and then they have sex together. And the, the, the product of that relationship is are, are two sons, twins, and that's Perez and Zerah. And this is the story of Jesus. Jesus is a product of lying, cheating swindlers who sleep with prostitutes. And in the middle of all that, the story of Jesus is being written. And he goes on. He doesn't list all the moms, but he goes on and continuing in verse 3. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Abinadab. Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boab's mom. Lots of moms could have been listed, but Matthew just, he, I begin to ask myself, why, why, why is Matthew doing this? And It is because Matthew, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to know that Boaz was born from his prostitute mom. The genealogy of Jesus is not comprised with some of the wealthiest, richest, most talented royalty that he could come from. No, he's a product of of men who sleep with prostitutes and women who lie and have sex with people that they shouldn't. And then he's he's a product of, of a prostitute. This, these are, these people are making the person of Jesus. Because Jesus is the product of messes. Why? Because God knows how to prepare for messes and to still do great things on the other side of them. This is what he does with our story. We'll just keep reading very quickly. He continues in verse 5. Boaz was the father of Obad, whose mom was Ruth. I prayed about, wow, God, why Ruth was a very loyal loyal person in the life of Naomi, if you know the story. And I prayed and asked God, why would Matthew do this when the other ones make a little more sense to me? 
uh, you know, the, the, the messes that are made in our lives, the messes that we make in our lives, and this one is a little different, rather than this be a messes that we make, man, I tell you, Ruth's life was just a, a story of tragedy. Messes all around her. As a result of famine, her father-in-law, they, they, become, they move to Moab, and there they, they meet, Ruth meets her husband, and, and actually the, the, her father-in-law and both of his sons, including her husband, die. And, and so now her, her, her mother-in-law is stuck, kind of a, a woman with no home, and one of Ruth's sister goes back to her hometown, but Ruth stands side by side with Naomi, and as a result of that, kind of lives always without really having an identity of her own. Tragedy has struck, and she just feels lost. She lives her life just trying to figure it out. The, one of the next chapters after talking the story of the tragedy, we read, they're just trying to find where they're going to eat. Where's, where's their next meal going to come from? This is the story of Ruth. Tragedy struck. They're just trying to figure out how to survive. This is the story of Jesus. This is why Matthew included this. And, and finally in verse 5, Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. King David was the father of Solomon. And once again we see whose mother was Bathsheba. And then Matthew just tags it on yet again to make a statement. She was also the widow of Uriah. Why would that be included? Well, because David... Just got mentioned, you know, Jesus, who the prophet said would be identified as the son of David. And Matthew's talking the genealogy, and he says, yeah, he's the son of David. He, he happened to be the father of Solomon, but the Solomon's mom was Bathsheba. And if you know the story, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it. David had sex with a woman who wasn't his wife, and, and then he had her husband killed. And Matthew includes both of those accounts so that we can know that even the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus Christ, includes portions that people wish could be redacted. This is what the story, what God does in our lives is all about. You can't run from your story. Even the mistakes the mistakes are being written into a beautiful reminder of what God can do when we give him our stories. Your story matters. Your story is not a mistake. And finally and quickly, your story is a miracle. I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Did you see this? It begins to talk about our suffering, and in our suffering, we, we, we see and remember what Jesus did. Oh, but the suffering didn't have the final word in the life of Jesus. A miracle came after the death and burial of Jesus. A miracle was triggered, and the greatest miracle of, of all time happened, the resurrection of Jesus. But the greatest miracle where, where the keys to death and hell were handed to Jesus happened because first there was suffering, and after suffering there was def defeat and death. And then out of those two places we see the miracle of Jesus. And sometimes in our suffering, if we can wait it out, we're, we are pressed, but we don't have to be crushed, we're perplexed. 
perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We feel hunted down at times, but we are never abandoned by God. And he is writing a miracle in our lives. Out of the suffering, we're going to hear a story of suffering. And the miraculous story of the, the work of God, the redemptive plan of God in that suffering. And then we see in in the latter part of this passage in verse 16, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So listen, listen to this. We don't look at our troubles that we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things which we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Friend, we're going to see a video by a lady here in our church. whose name is Vicky. And Vicky talks about some brutal things that happened in her life to no fault of her own. How suffering entered her life like an avalanche, a tsunami. And she was tempted, in fact did, just sort of tuck those things away, afraid to imagine what God could do, how he might even be able to use the tragedy. And, and if you don't know this, and Vicky will mention it, Vicky sat silently on that story until about a month ago. A month ago, through an invitation from our student ministries to share her story, she shared the story that she's going to share now. And in sharing this story, she realized, and it triggered for her, oh my goodness, there was something powerful that creates a connection with others when we are willing to say, this is my story, and Jesus is using it for his glory. I'm going to ask you as we listen to the story to consider what parts of your story are you afraid of? Do you wish you could pretend like doesn't happen? And maybe, maybe, maybe through the bravery of Vicky sharing her story, maybe you could imagine inviting someone. Maybe it's us. Maybe you shoot me an email. Maybe you'll reach out to a friend and say, can we, can we get together? I need to talk about something I've never told anybody before, but I think it's time. That's what Vicky did. And on video, we captured it Monday night, and this is Vicky, and this is her story. You mean I open it and then? Yep. Okay. Hi, my name is Vicky. I'm from Converge Church, and this is my story. My parents were the type that only went to church on Easter. I really liked church. I loved going, um, and I went with whoever I could get a ride with. So I've been to most denomination churches, um, and I've always, I depended on God, I prayed to Him, I asked Him for His protection, and I just, I really truly believe that if I just obeyed all of His commandments, that I would have only good in my life, that nothing would ever go wrong. Uh, somehow I miss that part where there will be, in this life you will have trouble. <laughs> and so I, I kind of made my own bubble world that God formed for me, and um, that's all it was. It was just, it was only going to be good because I was good. I, I obeyed the rules, I got good grades, so I just thought nothing bad would ever happen to me. My first husband was out to sea on a submarine, so Kim and I were alone. Uh, 
We were sleeping together in front of a fan because we didn't have air conditioning and it was really hot. And I woke up to a man running at me with a knife. And my first instinct was just to roll over and, and snag up Kim. And he ran to me and he held the knife right at her head. And he said, put her down or I'll kill her. And then I, of course, I'm dead. And then he, he took me up into another room and I was raped at knife point. Um, when the police came, um, I wasn't beat up, so they didn't really believe me. I said it was the maintenance man. The man had literally lowered himself from the roof onto my balcony. I was on the top floor and they were so mean. Everything was, what did I do? Where did I hang out? What kind of clothes did I wear? What kind of bathing suit did I wear at the apartment pool? It was all, you're just doing this, you know, it, you caused it. Date gone wrong. And then the police took me to the Navy hospital where once again they examined my neck and because I didn't have knife marks, they said I had just probably made the whole thing up so that they would send my husband home sooner. So, I, I had to go on, but I never, as far as I knew, he was never caught. They wouldn't believe me. I did, you know, I didn't think anybody was even looking into it anymore. So I never knew. All I knew was I was afraid at night. I was afraid. Um, I had kind of made my schedule where I stayed up all night, and then as soon as it started getting light, Kim and I would go to sleep because I was so afraid by myself. That went on probably for three years till I was able to move out of Connecticut. But I found as we moved around, and I've lived in 13 states, that it didn't matter where I was. I always had that, someone following me? You know, I, w I was always super protective. Um, I had four locks on my door, you know, and, um, and I tried all the traditional ways. I, I went to counseling. I, I went to family counseling. I went through the rape crisis program. I, I guess it made me feel better for a short amount of time, but it was still like, but God, how could you do this? Why? Why me? And I just, it was like I was blaming God for what somebody else did. And I just, I couldn't understand. I felt like it was a punishment that I must have done something. Everybody just kind of shoved what happened to me, like, oh, forget it, you're not hurt. You know, and my sister was mad because I didn't fight. My mom wanted me to be hypnotized so I would forget it. And so I just had no support. So I got to where I wanted nobody to know. It, it was the dirty feeling. I, I didn't want people to know I was that dirty. You know, when, when it happened, I begged him to let me scrub with, with SOS pads. I just, just something to just get it off of me. And he told us to put up our hand, bow our heads, close our eyes, just tell God when you were afraid, just put it in your hand, he said. So that's what I did. And then I didn't say anything else, just like he directed us. And the next day I was alone and I started thinking about it. Uh-huh, hmm. With the internet now, I bet I could find something out. So I just put in Hartford, Connecticut, and in big black numbers, all that came up was the police station. So oh, that's a good place any start. So I um, I called and I told him what I wanted. He says, "Oh no, ma'am, it's it's been 30 years. We don't keep any records that long. Not even murder cases. We don't we don't keep those." 
And I told him, well, it was at such and such apartments. And at this year, and he goes, oh, wait, I just cut on the force then. I remember that. That was a maintenance man. He got 10 to 20. And I just felt like this sheet of plastic, everything just lifted off. And, and he could tell that I was emotional about what he had just said. And it just it was like it just hung there and just lifted off slowly like there wasn't anything else in the world but that piece of plastic coming off of me. As if that wasn't enough information. Two hours later, he called back and he said, we want to give you a formal apology from the Hartford Police Station for how you were probably treated. And that was just, oh my gosh. <laughs> it was who I said it was, and now you're sorry for the way I was treated at your place. Oh, wow. It was just, wow, oh God, you did it. You did it. I'm so sorry I was mad at you. <laughs> it's just, it's like everything came back and of all my trust and, and wanting to, to feel that connection again and all the shame had just been lifted off and it was just such, it, it was a miracle to me. It, it was God's miracle to me. It was a gift for me. I never, never would have dreamed that that could have happened. The church part has been nothing but wonderful comfort, even before they knew my story. Um, they encouraged me when I said I was afraid. Um, they've prayed for me. They've given me the strength and the courage to talk about my story. And I haven't ever had that before. I haven't ever had the support that they've given me. Even when I shared my testimony with the teens, wow, I felt, I felt like someone believes me. This is so amazing. They believe me. Nobody said, why didn't you? Or why didn't this happen? Why did you do that? And, was just this amazing whole new loving experience. It's um, it's, it's just been, it was so um, rewarding, I guess, and so complete. And I was like, okay, God, you were in control. You were, you, you know, and somebody even told me that he tests us. And I was like, well, I guess I flunked that, but I'll make up for it now. Because <laughs> I did, I was so mad, and I just, I have to wonder what my life would have been like if I would have turned to God right away. What I've learned from my story is to trust God. Um, don't be mad at him. I've, I've had to accept that in this life we're going to have problems. And that's why we need God. That's why I needed God. Instead of rejecting him in that area, I needed him to come. And he did as soon as I let him. As soon as I let him, he was there. I'm Vicki Hammond and this is my story.